You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Alomes. Great to have you joining us again this week. On today's show, we have another recording from the Sports Innovation Summit, which was held last month in Nashville, Tennessee at Neeson Stadium, home of the Tennessee Titans. The summit is a forum for exploring the most pressing issues facing the sports industry today, from the latest technological advancements to new ways to engage fans and drive revenue. As you'll hear, the summit covers a wide range of topics with a focus on meaningful and actionable insights for those working within the sports industry. The summit's a joint venture between the team here at SDWS and our friends at HDX Sports Tech. Dates and locations for the 2024 edition of the summit will be released soon, so make sure you subscribe to our Sports Tech Feed newsletter via the link in the show description or at stws.co. If you're based in the Southern Hemisphere and you missed out on this year's Nashville summit, then we encourage you to attend the Australia Sports Tech Conference, the Southern Hemisphere's largest and most respected sports technology industry event. This year's edition is happening on Thursday, August 31st in Brisbane, Queensland. An agenda, tickets and more information are available at stws.co. Now over to our guests on fan engagement and immersive experiences. I have the opportunity to have a conversation here with Courtney Jeffries and Steffi Blank. Uh, Courtney is with Virtual, Steffi is with Wit Sports. Want to kind of follow a similar format and kind of if you can start with the conversation with your background, education, experiences, and kind of how you got to where you are now. We'll kind of take it from there. Sounds good. So then I can start with the reciprocal shout out to Jared because I went to Wash U uh, in St. Louis undergrad. I studied film media studies, Arabic and math, uh, none of which led to my career now. Um, So that is really exciting. I graduated and actually became a teacher because that's what I thought I wanted to do. I taught middle school special education in the South Bronx for two years. Truly the hardest job I will ever have. No athlete, no boss, no anybody is as mean as a seventh grader. So um, (laughs) uh, that is that uh, sort of kickstarted me to say, what do I actually really want to do if I'm not going to be a teacher? And sports has always been my passion. I didn't think I could ever work in it. I didn't know what that would entail. Um, Started, got a foot in the door at an agency and helping sports sponsorship deals, a very traditional background, then really wanted to learn more about the digital space. So left sports, um, went to entertainment where I focused on digital only, email marketing, paid social, organic social, content creation, all of that. Then the I was very fortunate, but the New York Yankees came a calling um, and I was recruited and went there for four and a half years where I led digital and social. Then uh, through a friend who had worked at the New York Mets who then went to the uh, uh, Brooklyn Nets, uh, ended up at the Nets as the uh, leading integrated marketing where I was responsible for helping revenue driving initiatives in the marketing space. And in doing so, I was pitched by a lot of vendors um, and made a lot of decisions. Um, I was the vendor queen, as they called me there. Uh, And one such vendor I was pretty much obsessed with was called Wit Sports. And they helped me generate new leads. They helped me fulfill sponsorship deals. They helped me really innovate. They built games for me. And it was the coolest vendor I'd ever worked with. And I said at one point, I think maybe this is the space for me to go into next since I don't really want to work for a team anymore. And uh, Vitey, my boss and friend, um, said, come on board. Uh, We'll create something for you. And I've been there now the last almost six months. 
Courtney Jeffries. I identify as a recovering sports executive. So um, I started my career with the Oakland Raiders uh, after having been a student athlete at the University of Washington. So not not quite wash. Wow. Wrong wash. Well, um, we have the New York connection, the Washington I know, connection I know, is there. Right? Yeah. Um, and I went to grad school at the University of San Francisco thinking that I was going to be an athletic director and go into collegiate sports. So after the Raiders, I actually went to the Pac-12. You all have known me for 30 seconds. I do not have the diplomacy to work in collegiate athletics <laughs> at all. It's not in my DNA. So that lasted a very short amount of time. And then I went out to New York. I was the vice president of retention for the Knicks Rangers and Liberty, ran the Rangers PNL for a while. And then a guy named Donnie White came in and pitched Satisfy Labs to the Garden. And at the time, I was really in my bag as you know a PNL owner of a sports league. I was pumped. I loved it. Thinking about my career over again, when I was working for the Oakland Raiders to date myself, I worked for them before they had social media. I worked for them before they had a CRM system. So thinking about how do you reinvent your career or what are the jumping off points if you wanted to try something new, listening to what Satisfy was doing and capturing zero party data and leveraging that for teams felt like a very interesting opportunity with very little downside, which by the way is total crap because <laughs> startup life is all downside. Like Jared, I totally uh, relate to some of the stuff that you said, but uh, it was it was a chance to try something new. And so, uh, and for those that don't know Donnie White, he can sell ice to Eskimos. So he sold that to me, and I jumped. I was the sixth employee, and uh, as their head of sales, and then grew into the COO of that company. I was with Satisfy for five years, and then I decided to do it all over again and joined what was Virtual Tables, um, the artist formerly known as VRTL Virtual. And what we do at Virtual now is we look at the entire ecosystem of a fan base and recognize that while the overwhelming majority of sports right now are focused on putting butts in seats, the reality is that percentage of fans is actually quite small, infinitesimal when you look at globally around. And there are no tools to meaningfully engage a global audience, to pull them deeper into the consumer funnel and own that interaction. You right now, for brands in the room, you take your fan base and you port them over to Instagram Live. You port them over to Twitch and to YouTube instead of owning a virtual venue for which you can engage in a panel discussion, in a live autograph experience, in a multi-room fan fest. And that's what we provide brands to own, um, thinking that they can start to generate revenue out of the entire base instead of just those in building. Nice. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to dive back into like some, what some of those digital activations look like. But to start that off, kind of both of you have had that experience coming from a conference, a league, a team, getting back into the startup space or into the startup ecosystem, focus on digital innovation and kind of digital experiences and digital engagement. What was the motivation or driver for you to kind of focus on that as a, prof well, I guess professionally, but then like taking on the Satisfy or taking on a VRTL or taking on the WIT Sports, why was that a draw for you. Yeah, sure. Uh, the team side is really hard. <laughs> um, that was the professional, I think, driver ultimately for me, honestly. Um, and also from a personal and professional standpoint, I had worked for two, and I know Courtney has also experienced this, but like New York City sports teams are very tough. Um, and they have tough people, they have tough men. Um, and working uh, in an industry as a woman where I am very passionate about a woman's space in sports, um, I felt like you know I wanted to make sure that my voice was going to be heard and respected. Um, and I knew that you know I'd been trying to impact change on the team side, um, but 
at a certain point you have to put yourself first and I wanted to be creative, I wanted to have a seat at the table, I wanted to be you know, respected and um, I had built this true partnership and relationship with, with Wit. Um, Vitey had become a friend and I knew that if I didn't wanna leave sports um, that working for a company like that would allow me to do so. So that was really the professional and personal driver. And then on the digital and innovation side, I just truly love making cool shit. Like I love being innovative. I love being creative. It's always been the favorite, my favorite part of any job I've ever had um, is just creating things from scratch, seeing them from you know, start to finish um, and even post-mortem, um, what can I do better next time? Uh, I just, I love that. And so being able to do that with now 57 different teams and leagues is the best job ever. Including the Nashville Predators, 58, I know. <laughs> we just signed the Nashville Predators. Um, so I actually had dinner last night with Tyree's, uh, one of Tyree's counterparts, so. Congrats. That's a good plug. That it was is. really good. Yeah. Thank you. No, I mean, the, the, the PR answer is that I genuinely saw an opportunity to do something new in sports. This is a new source of data that can start to be leveraged for departments like Tyree's. And there was a huge opportunity to be at the ground level of that. The non-PR answer is I also, as a woman, had a huge chip on my shoulder and was like, if you can't give me jobs that I want and think I deserve, then I'm going to go out around you. I'm going to dominate it in a startup and learn more about this than you and then I'm just gonna go around you. Hell yeah. Um, haven't made my way around yet, because again, I, I did it again and went to startup. But um, no, I mean, it, it's, I was on a panel at ALSD and somebody asked a question about, um, and it was a panel about innovation. And the question was how we all felt about Apple uh, wearables. And do we think that that's gonna impact us or impact the innovation? And for me, I look at any brand or any team in live entertainment, not just sports, that are trying to push the envelope of new and exciting access of moments in fandom, not just a game itself, but what pe keeps people connected to a brand as being really imperative for anybody that wants to be creative. So, you know, I look at what we're doing now as, uh, and satisfy as, as an opportunity to take risks and, and change an industry. So now when I think about the chip on my shoulder, um, and being a CEO of a startup, the glory of doing this is in the opportunity for change. It is in looking at creating an opportunity between a brand and fans around the world that it literally wouldn't have been possible without what we're doing. Going back to some of the digital activations with VRTL and with sports, can you dive into some of that, whether it's like My Cause, My Cleats, or the virtual t-shirt toss, or the full fan fest that you've been able to do and meet and greets that you've been able to do with different clubs or organizations? Sure. Um, well, I actually ran into at um, MLC Connect, our Browns client, so I think they're a good one to start with because they are amazing at this. Um, so they just, I'm sure maybe many of you saw this, they um, unveiled a new Dog Pound logo um, over the last month or so. Um, they ran a bunch of different initiatives where they started with a bracket that fans could vote on what type of dog the Browns are. Then the second piece of that was once a Mastiff was decided, then fans could submit de their own designs for a new Dog Pound logo featuring a Mastiff. And then the third piece of it was how do you vote on the top, you know, 
like the, the top six, no, it's top five, top five, top five. Um, I'm looking at Ryan over there who actually helped run this activation out. Um, top five vote getters um, were in a vote to win head to head competition and then the top two from that could then, uh, would then were in another vote to win. So it was a four activation <laughs> initiative that resulted in over 110,000 people participating and voting for the Cleveland Browns with no prizing, no anything. It was just letting fans have a voice. Um, and now all of those activations were WIT activations. Um, and so we are just really, really proud of being able to work with really innovative clients like the Browns. Um, like the Ravens, um, we do, yes, we have virtual t-shirt tosses that we ran with um, the National Predators for the draft. We do um, scratch and wins, we have prize wheels, we have brackets, we have fan walls, we have 27 and counting different products um, that all of our clients have full access to. Um, we, are also, we also build arcade games, which is something I did at the Brooklyn Nets um, that we just actually ran out for the Super Bowl this year with the NFL. Um, Diana Flores, flag football, um, had a flag football uh, commercial at halftime, and so we built a flag football run with it game, runner game, um, where people were chasing Diana Flores, and so we launched that with the NFL. We do it all, and we, Similar to Rachel, we do not say no, um, much to a fault. So um, we try to be solutions oriented and create, again, really cool shit for really cool people. Um, Michael in the previous panel talked about not just doing something for the sake of it or not checking a cool box, right? Having it be uh, purposeful. And you know, for us, what we've built is a virtual venue. So depending on what your KPIs are, that's the initiative that we want to help support. And it's allowed us to be incredibly agile from a WNBA team to an F1 team. Typically speaking in sports, we recognize that maybe they don't use the same tools because maybe their budgets are different or maybe they don't have the same initiatives. And we pride ourselves on the fact that that is our solution scales to both. So in taking Williams Racing, for example, those guys don't give a shit about selling tickets. They don't have season ticket holders. They're focused on the top of the fan funnel and knowing out of the half billion fans worldwide, thanks to Drive to Survive, who belongs to them. So they use our platform in a sweepstakes model. They say who belongs to us, join our database, and enter to win to for a live autograph experience with our driver on our platform. That's 17,000 new names to database from across 125 different countries. They have done 15 events with us. None of them have been in the United States. All of them have been around the world, including Bahrain, which I absolutely had to look up on a map. Uh, but then you go to the other end of the spectrum. Minnesota Vikings have one of the highest season ticket holder rates in the country, as well as highest season ticket attendance rates. They don't really need our help selling tickets either, but their net promoter score is not where they want it to be. So they've used us to start creating value add experiences for season ticket holders. First event we did for them was uh, the children of their season ticket holders coming on platform to the tune of 400 for a panel discussion with three players, and then they got to get in line for an autograph with one of the three players while watching a first look of their Hard Knocks episode behind the scenes. So two very different activations, two very different KPIs, both supported on our platform. As you're having those conversations for those activations, are there like certain business units that understand or don't understand the value add that you're bringing to the table, and then how do you kind of navigate those, those conversations? 
Sure. So with frustration. Yeah. Our, uh, you know, Rachel talked about silos in, in her conversation, and I think that's something that we desperately try to break down because um, our platform works across every business unit. So we directly integrate into CRM systems. So we work really closely with BI teams. We also have progressive profiling on all of our activations. So again, we work very closely with BI teams. Um, we do a lot of partnership activations. So a lot of our entree into teams is through the partnership team. And then ultimately we are generating 110,000 new leads for the Cleveland Browns and building fan engagement platforms. So marketing for, you know, loves us and we like work with all of the marketing teams. So our goal is to have those people in every single business unit want to work with us, be excited to get on the phone with us and talk to us because that's what we really pride ourselves on. I lead our service team, which is Ryan included, and we just really like being creative and like working with our partners. Um, and so we, we try to do it all. Um, but yeah, those are probably the three business units that we truly focus on, um, but with the hope of maybe expanding to more, who knows. Yeah, we launched our platform and this model, business model in November. So for us, there's a bit more of an imperative to get volume and usage. So we are really shameless at saying yes to things and, you know, smaller contract sizes, activations. But from a trend, industry trend standpoint, Nate and I were talking about this earlier, um, you know, when I worked for the Raiders, it wasn't unusual for brands to not own their own venue. That was that was totally normal. You would never think that today, right? Brands want to own every touch point of their fan engagement. You're starting to see that trend trickle over with the regional sport network battles, right? They want to own all of that component. So shouldn't they own the virtual venue where they engage global fans, right? And so from a trend standpoint, I'm really excited about the proposition of engaging those departments to say, great, you're taking over your broadcast opportunities and your media rights. Why don't you also pair it with an interactive platform that allows you to engage with those fans beyond just talking at them, um, which will be very exciting for us. But otherwise, very similar to you, um, revenue generating departments that need new assets to engage fans and have it work for them with that kind of flexibility. You mentioned, what, 27 different products. Almost 28. 20, yeah. Working on 28 and probably more. We so. actually just launched it with the uh, Boston Bruins this week. The Centennial, yeah, whatever. <laughs> going. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess the question there is, like, how do you kind of convey the either revenue generation opportunities, the sales uh, top of funnel opportunities, convey that to an organization or individual within the organization that may be hesitant to kind of grasp onto that but you have success in, in doing that and doing it well yeah I think it's I think it's building that trust I think it's I I came from their shoes um, I worked at the teams I was the person that used this vendor I think you know not to toot my own horn but that carries a lot of cachet like that I understand a lot of the difficulties now there's no one size fits all. Every team is really different. Every team's needs are really different. The Brooklyn Nets had, you know, one of the highest ATPs, but also had the lowest season ticket member base. So like that is, you know, there's a huge discrepancy there. Revenue wise, the numbers are really high, but fans that are coming back are really low. So when I was there, it was trying to close that gap a little bit and really focus on season, like high quality leads that we could convert into season ticket members. And so when I was approaching WIT, that was my focus and really trying to figure out how I could leverage activations for that. So we go into every conversation with open ears. 
our goal is not to convince anybody of anything. It is to listen to what their needs are and what their problems are. And every department is going to be different, right? Tyree talked about it like BI's objectives at the beginning of the year might be very different than sponsorship's objectives or even the ticket sales objectives. They might not always be the same. And so our sort of, plat our the way our platform works and the way our model works is that, you know, I don't really care who's paying for what from a budget standpoint. It can come from multiple different departments, but we want to make sure that every single person in this company can use us and leverage us and we can do things for them. So just because we're running this thing for marketing doesn't mean we wouldn't necessarily run this thing for BI or this thing for partnership. And we can also make it so that everyone is happy and we're running something that fits all of their needs. Yeah, I would say we have the advantage of leveraging experiences and behaviors that are already known in sports. I don't have to teach somebody what a live autograph is. I don't have to teach somebody about what a panel is. The difference on our platform, though, is because of the flexibility in our particular model, it does allow brands to serialize those experiences more. Anybody that's in this room that's on a brand side, you're maybe doing between two to five tentpole events every year. And if we're really honest with ourselves, the same hardcore fans show up at all of those events, don't they? It's not necessarily innovative for the fans that don't show up. And by the way, those that miss it, we're not really doing anything to create value add there. They missed it, they missed it. Um, so for us, we think about the opportunity to create uh, events at a scale and uh, economically appropriate to do more of them. Literally 20 minutes ago, we had 60 fans for the XFL Blackhawks on for a Q&A panel with the head coach who then signed autographs afterwards. Um, the other lever that we play into is creating a more communal feel out of the experience that you don't necessarily get with in-person, meaning I can take fans from all over that would never show up in person. They just physically can't. They either are booster groups from outside or they are um, fans from around the world. That's a big deal for us to leverage because um, it is there's a global initiative. And I love what you said about working in different departments because the community relations department, who typically has no budget, who typically doesn't have the benefits perhaps of an analytics team, um, they don't necessarily have the fun tools to engage. The um, Norwich Canaries, who, by the way, I love. Canaries don't really strike the fear um, as like a mascot for me, like a predator, right? Um, but they use us to expand their community initiative. They only put kids on platform to meet players, right? Like that's literally how they start creating value add for the different departments that work for them. Uh, I guess where I wanted to take the conversation next was kind of what, like what would, you mentioned both having to create the opportunities for yourselves and then finding opportunities within organizations to kind of not necessarily convey the, the value added of the product or service, but this is something that can help and enhance your offering and extend services in a way. What would you like to see kind of change and kind of evolve as you're kind of pushing these initiatives? Like on the team side or? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm, I'm still, I still have you know, maybe a little PTSD from the team side. I'm you know, only six months out um, after being there for so long. But I think teams, you know, I, I'm going to just keep quoting Rachel because she had some really quotable lines uh, in She's her good. talk. She's, She's good. good. She's yeah. a good one. Um, but, you know, she talked about the silos and she, she talked about also like change is really tough on sports teams. They don't always like it. So a team can claim, oh, I'm so innovative. Like, we're amazing. We are the most innovative in the entire insert league here. But like, 
they just want that as their, you know, as their attribute that people might think of them as, but they're inherently not internally. Um, there's still old white men controlling these teams that don't understand a lot of the verbiage that we're using and a lot of the details that we're talking about and a lot of the, the things that we're trying to do. And so there are gonna be constant brick walls. And I think that just understanding that and figuring out the ways around them or the ways over them and not giving up is, is important. And so we wanna arm um, our allies and what I call foes, friends of wit, in, internally with everything that they could possibly need in order to be able to tackle those brick walls and we will do it with them. Um, they are not alone in that fight. Um, We've heard a lot about your legal team. Um, so like, you know, there's, <laughs> um, so you know, there's, we, we understand what those pitfalls are and we wanna be there and, and, and we are that true partner and I think that is what we wanna provide and what I was looking for on the team side too. I love what you said, by the way. I just feel like that was a mic drop. That was, <laughs> it was phenomenal. Um, I would say just strictly speaking on the business side, Domestically speaking, I'm, I'm really growing weary of the head of marketing really only focusing on the fans and building. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't. I absolutely agree that buildings should be packed, they're expensive, there's all of that. But when we t think about marketing, and when you look at what European s soccer clubs are doing, for example, like marketing for them means global fan. It means global engagement. I think um, if I'm gonna get really mouthy, the you know domestic sports teams here, U.S. pro sports teams, have just said, "Hey, league, you handle the global fan, and you do it with streaming, you do it with media, um, you do it with tentpole events like the Super Bowl, like you know um, the Final Four, etc." Like it's not really imperative for the team to care, and I won't make everybody raise their hand as I did in Indianapolis at ALSD. But if you think about, do you know how much, how what the value is, the lifetime value of a fan in your building? Now I want you to tell me what the lifetime value of your fan who lives in Germany is. And I think all of you would be like, Eesh, I, I can ballpark it. Or what is that fan like in Mexico for you? And you guys, you care about them, but we, we don't really do anything. So the trend I would love to see change is teams embrace the responsibility and accountability of engaging the global fan base, not just focusing on putting butts in seats. Which by the way, I totally know comes from the ownership side. So I'm not suggesting that nobody in here cares. I just, that is the, the, the trend I'd love to see. Just take some notes. I like that one. <laughs> We've got a lot of mic drops up here. <laughs> yeah, we're like just getting real mouthy. This is great. Okay. <laughs> is there a domestic team Yeah, from a global engagement standpoint, um, no, right? And and that's not to say that that's that's wrong. That's just not where their priority is. Whereas Williams Racing for the Aiden Lions, for those that have you know experience with, he used to run NFL events. Like his job is like, I want to know who everybody in the world belongs to us. Like that was the imperative of why he signed up with us. Um, Wolverhampton Wolves is a client, and those guys literally have a player from Korea on their team, and they put him on platform to meet fans in Korea to grow their base there. I love what the NFL is doing in their marketing to expand into to different countries. Showing up and playing a game, like if you build it, they will come, for me is a little bit disenfranchised. It's, 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 it should be your baseline of the minimum event uh, effort. What can you do more of, right? Are there any in initiatives that you're wor at working towards, like on that front, that you wanna, I guess, highlight or kind of promote? Um, as far as like growing the game or yeah, other leagues 
governing bodies with FIFA, with the World Cup coming here in 2026, opportunities to explore that with Major League Soccer now to start to create like a roadmap into that? Are, are you looking at opportunities there? And then also to kind of piggyback like your global international expansion, are you both focused on international opportunities? And kind of to what degree? Yeah, okay, um, I'll start. So this is all credit to, um, I'll shout her out because she is amazing. And if you don't know Kim Ferguson at the Ravens, she is just a gem. But anyway, Kim Ferguson had this idea um, that she wanted to do, she worked, she's head of fan engagement for the Baltimore Ravens. And she wanted to create a fan map that fans could virtually plant their flag as, and become members of the Ravens flock. They call their fans the flock. Um, so for the playoffs last year, we created and it was just US, but we created a fan map that fans all across the country could virtually plant their Ravens flock flag and create a dynamic social share image that they could share out that they had joined the flock. The NHL loved this idea so much that for the Stanley Cup playoffs this year, they launched for the first round a dynamic Canada, full North America map um, where fans of the 12 Stanley Cup playoff teams could dynamically plant their flag and in a competition compete across North America. And in doing so, we're able to capture the data and their opt-in checkboxes were insane, but Ticketmaster was the, the, the presenting partner on it. And all of a sudden Ticketmaster had the data for thousands, tens of thousands of Canadians and US citizens across the globe just because they were saying, I'm rooting for the Colorado Avalanche, I'm rooting for you know, the New Jersey Devils or wherever, and I could be based in the Yukon Territory, I could be based in Nova Scotia or whatever. And now being able to dynamically target them and get much more customized and personalized in your communication is something that all sports teams and leagues are really looking to do. And so that's something that we're really focused on going into you know, into the coming year and uh, the following year is expanding that fan map product and other products into how do we really, really, really target um, those international fans and then really on that progressive profiling um, element that I spoke about earlier, but how do we layer people that are repeat customers and, you know, avid fans of a team, how do we fill out those customer data profiles more completely and holistically without spamming people with surveys and you know feeling like we're force feeding them questions of how many kids do you have? What is your household income, right? All of these things that no one's gonna answer. Um, and so by doing it integrated and progressively over the course of you know 100 plus activations that the Cleveland Cavaliers might run in a year, um, that becomes a way better and easier way of collecting all of that data and then becoming much more targeted in their communications and marketing. We really like, it's funny that you bring up what the Ravens are doing uh, for yeah. like identifying fans. The, the European soccer model of creating a membership that really isn't driven by ticket sales, it might include a pre-sale, right? It might include early access, but it isn't about selling a season ticket package for um, for engagement, right? It's literally about you belong to us and, and come into our inner circle. The joke I typically make on a sales call is when Steph Curry leaves the Warriors, Steph Curry does not lose fans, right? The Warriors do. And I absolutely made that joke to the Green Bay Packers in saying post Rogers era, and they did not sign a contract. Oh. So I don't care. It's fine. It's fine. 
It's true though, right? I, mean, I, I work mean, for the Brooklyn Nets. It's yeah, a, it's, yeah, it's this is you know sorry to hold up a mirror, but yeah. like this is this is a reality. So the brands um, that are engaging in this kind of membership model is very interesting to us because it's literally saying there's fandom to be had outside the building, and we can create a major value add in that capacity. So really big on that one. The other piece in this slightly controversial is you know accessing sports for the most part and accessing live entertainment is becoming a very uh, aggressively uh, luxury item, luxury experience. Not everybody sure. is going to get to do it. And so, you know, the future of sports, I would I would say, suggests creating more sustainable access to the brand itself so that people aren't just walking away because they can't enjoy something in person. Um, you know, if we talk about television rights, um, Major League Baseball is not shown on free TV. There is an entire generation of sports fans that have never watched free baseball. That is really shocking, right? And so, and does, does Major League Baseball care? Maybe, maybe not. The, the point being that, you know, these are very uh, long-lasting impacts that without tools to properly engage and create value add and meaningful connection, I think you're, you're jeopardizing um, revenues in the future. 100%. I'd like to open up for a couple questions and then we can kind of, I'll lead into that with, same thing I kind of had Jared and Brian kind of like advice for, like as you're, as you navigated your transition from the team league or agency side into more of the startup ecosystem, kind of what advice would you have for uh, the people that are like founders? Call or me first. So get, oh. so get, <laughs> get her on the phone first. <laughs> uh, yeah, is there any advice that you have that you would like to share? Uh, and then also take any questions for navigating that transition. Uh, yeah, Courtney's going to be better at speaking about this than I am because yeah. she's... Uh, She's yeah, she's much more immersed in it. I mean, so far I'm loving it. So I'm I think I'm still in that post you know post team glow. Um, but I I you know I think that it's finding something that you're passionate about. Like I've never been on something. I've never been a seller, right? I never sold tickets. I never was like a traditional salesperson. I mean, I sold tickets because I worked for a team. But like I you know I wasn't a traditional seller. And I think being at a place where you know, revenue is so important and driving that um, has been really interesting and different, but I'm so passionate about the product and I'm so passionate about our team and our platform. Um, and as an avid user myself on the other side, like I know the value of it and I think it makes it so much more enjoyable. So if you're gonna go to that side, I think my advice would be at least like what you're trying to sell and be really invested in it because it is a really hard life and you can live and die by those, you know, those failures and, and those times where you don't get the deal and it can be really hard. And so being able to maintain that positivity and keep your head up and um, remember all of the wins and the victories and be, again, really passionate and happy that you get to sell and work on something that you truly enjoy. I think that's what we're all looking for. That's why we got into sports in the first place. Totally agree. My and of course my lens is quite jaded because uh, the startups that I've done are, are early stage, right? So, the advice I would tell you if you're going to do it, if you're going to start your own, or if you're going to join at an early stage, is consider all of the things that you use today as a convenience to be good at your job, and then I'm going to take them all away from you, and I'm going to tell you that you will have to create those solutions yourself, all by yourself, while doing your job. It is it is hard, right? It's just like with Steffi's, it's hard. So know that 
that's the case going into it and be pumped about what you're doing and genuinely buy into it and believe it, right? That that's totally the name of the game, which we're all in sports anyway. I mean, none of us are paid well to work in sports. I mean, you know, that's the the glory. It's in the glory, right? It's in like doing something that isn't banking. It is in doing something that is um, that's as wins and losses. It has the we theme that we heard earlier yes. today. So, yeah. So the floor is open. Uh, Joe has the mic. Yes, it's me again. Um, so this is for Ste uh, Steffi. Yeah. Um, so thank you, you know, for getting my name right. Of course, <laughs> I have a complicated name, Kari. So a lot of people it. don't yeah. get it. All good. Um, so FanCam, um, they seem like they're get a lot of data from, you know, the actual stadiums with people actually sitting in the seats. Um, with your activations and the, the, the digital activations that you put on, are you all looking to pull data and then use that data to make, and, and uh, you know, apply it to people who have hired you and so they can make business decisions? Yes, okay. uh, sure, <laughs> that's the short answer. Um, the more well-rounded answer is that it's really dependent on team. Um, so whatever the team is looking for is what we can provide. So our everything, every activation that we have is completely customizable based on the team. So the Ravens, you know, I spoke about them already. They are extremely invested and very interested in SMS. Texting is like their platform. So every single activation that we run has custom check boxes for SMS and has a for, has a phone number field so that they can capture that. Right? Um, we have we work with Playfly, which has you know a bunch of colleges and universities, and so their check boxes are really distinct and different as well because they need playfly communications and, and things like that. They're, the Cleveland Cavaliers are extremely savvy when it comes to their data and BI. Um, so they were the impetus behind progressive profiling. They were like, if we're running all of these activations and we're completely integrated into their sales force so that anytime a net new lead comes in from a WIT activation, they can instantly send them on an email journey um, sent through their CRM. Like they are extremely savvy, but they want more information. So instead of every activation having a series of questions, it's okay, we can track this email address. We already have X and X field in Salesforce marked off for them. So let's now present them with this question. Um, what's Who's their favorite player? What is their jersey size? Whatever it might be that seems innocuous, but helps the Cavs continue to build out this profile for this customer. So the more activations they run, the more data that they collect. Question for both of you. Oh, goodness. Um, given that you guys are working with a lot of groups outside of the four, let's throw MLS in their five major leagues, and then also looking outside the US, outside of reaching the global fan, like you talked about, Court, what are some things that you think these teams are doing well that the five major leagues really aren't, um, given oftentimes they have their fan base, they're established? Um, what are some successes and things that you see that you think you're learning from outside of those five? You can go first. Yeah, I mean, the XFL is literally trying to create a brand and fan base out of nothing. And so it's been great to be a partner of theirs and grow with them and, and absolutely go through the pain points. 
they really wanted to own the second screen experience. That was a big deal to them in providing additional value to fans that, because they're not in market, right? And so um, this was not something that we even had on our as an offering. And they said, can we do a very kind of Manning style cast and put celebrities, put players that are on injured reserve, which would definitely not happen in, in any of the major fives. Um, can we bring in our own set of officials and talk to fans for you know the first half of the game and open it up to any and all fans to grow the sport, make it accessible, have people learn about it, uh, what it, what's going on. It's, it's been very cool uh, to, to watch how that goes. I won't use the XFL then, but I will use the WNBA. I think um, cause marketing um, is something that um, you know the major leagues tend to avoid for fear of alienating certain people. Or you know, I worked for the New York Yankees for four and a half years. I can tell you a lot of stories. Like you know, that is a um, that is something that teams are very cautious of um, that the WNBA embraces fully. Um, so we work with a number of WNBA teams who pretty much almost every activation that we have run has been around a cause, whether it be Juneteenth or Pride or whatever. You know, they are very passionate about that, and they put that on on their face and um, their fans respond to that and I think that's of a lot of value. Chair's got one. Okay, time for one more. You got it. Um, I, okay, so both of you have, uh, let's say, been, I wouldn't say been traumatized fully by the <laughs> sports world, but we both, I, I'll, make stories, yeah, we, yeah, I'll make a bet. I'll make a bet that the stories. two of you have mentees and people that come to you and say, I want to go work for a team right now. I, it's my it's my dream to go work for the Nets. My dream to work for the Raiders. Um, what do you think, or what should I do? How are you approaching that, knowing what you've experienced, but also knowing that like you don't want to crush somebody's dreams uh, too aggressively? How do you approach it when they come to you? This is my favorite question. I love. I actually love this question. My answer is the job that you're going to have does not exist yet. So going into this, you need to be patient, and you need to get some very transferable skills, sales learn how to communicate. Um, but the reality is the, you know, sports is catching up, right? We like to think that sports is super innovated, innovative. Go to Las Vegas and see what they're doing with data and we look like infants, right? And so the reality is at a pro sports team, um, you know, Satisfy Labs has created, I mean, we're not supposed to say chatbot, but it is a natural language processor for conversational AI in physical locations. Um, the responsibility of managing that did not exist before Satisfy Labs came around. Right, like we're creating a platform that would require some creative production support, perhaps. The the jobs that exist in sports are uh, growing and evolving. When I worked at the Raiders, as I mentioned, there was no social media department. So, um, for young people coming into it, I usually say get excited and be patient, and and know that there are trends in this industry that are going to shape the direction of your career. But have skills, have foundations that that are transferable. So being able to sell um, is is one of them, truly. I have two answers to this. One, find allies. Find people who think like you. Find people who want the same things as you because they do exist within the team sphere. They're, right, some of my closest friends are the people that I have met and worked with on the team side. Um, the second thing is don't, like, use your voice. Um, because at the end of the day, right, like, some people and teams don't even realize some of the things that they're doing are bad or are causing problems and people are afraid to speak out because of historical issues and the, you know, the way things have happened before. And I have, I have always been somebody to a fault that speaks a lot and uses my voice a lot um, and I become that person. And, but that is how change happens. You have to tell people. And so I think 
that is something that I tell a lot of young people if you're going to do it. It's it's a worthwhile experience. Um, it's something if, you know, if it, otherwise you're always gonna be thinking maybe what if I should have done this down the line, um, but don't just take it sitting down. S stand up and say something. Um, and sometimes that will cause, you know, enact change and, um, you know, provide a new path for you for leadership and for growth and development. And sometimes you'll be faced with a brick wall and some really angry men um, and you'll say, okay, this isn't the place for me and I need to, to find somewhere else to work. But um, at least you've tried and you've done what you can. With that, I want to say thank you, Steffi, Courtney, for being here.